Welsh. And believe it or not, to probably to your amazement at one time, I could sing that. In, I could read sing that in Welsh. I have to make sure I correct Carol knows the absolute truth of that. And, uh, but uh, we learned that in a men's retreat one time in, in Ireland. And uh, they said, oh, we got a church in Wales over here. They're going to sing, you know, here's love in Welsh. And all of, I think most, half of us were American that were there. And uh, so uh, Andrew Davies helped, helped me through it. And, uh, and I got to sing one verse and it was, it was quite well. There's one word I, I just, I, I could not get past the mountain on. And, uh, but I do want to relearn that again in Welsh. Amen. So let's open our Bibles back to the book of John this morning, the back of the book of John. Let's get ready to open up a can of worms, and uh, we'll get in John chapter 6 this morning. We're going to reread our verses that we've already read during our reading this morning. And uh, it, this is an atypical Sunday morning sermon. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Uh, there aren't three, four points, and not, there's no alliteration. It's straightforward, really and truly teaching today. Uh, it's not my typical Sunday morning sermon, but it is appropriate, and it is beneficial, and it is necessary, especially if we're going to address the validity of John chapter 6 and the great uh, in-depth teaching that Jesus Christ brings in the sixth chapter of the book of John. And uh, so we'll begin again in verse 52, 52, and the Bible says here, it says, The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so that so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread uh, which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Beloved, I want to bring a message that I've titled today, uh, The Madness of the Mass. The madness of, I, st- I was going to name it the mess of the mass, but I thought that was a, a little disrespectful for the Sunday morning sermon. But the madness of the mass today, and I believe, I hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. So let's bow our heads and ask a blessing upon the sermon this morning, and we'll get into our message here today. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. Uh, we simply ask of you this morning that if you will, bear witness upon our hearts and our souls Lord, take your word, help us rightly divide it and appropriately apply it into our hearts and into our lives, and let us continue to see uh, what you have given us in the Holy Scriptures, the guidance and direction and the mercy that you've enabled us to have in our life. And Father, I pray that you would speak by the Holy Spirit of God to our hearts this morning. Let us understand that the only way we can discern the spiritual things of the Word of God is through the Holy Spirit and those without such have no discernment whatsoever concerning the Scriptures. Lord, we ask you to bear witness today. Speak to us, touch us, and tender our hearts. In Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. The Bible does tell us, guys, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, in verse 14, about spiritual things and how we can decipher them. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, and he says, for, uh, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they, the spiritual things, are spiritually discerned. Okay? 
we read these verses, and, I got, and I, I'm sure if we read these verses in the manner that we have this morning, and we're listening to Jesus say, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and we'll see here in just a moment how contrary that is to scriptures in all dispensations, we, we wonder, how can we understand this? And we see the false doctrines that are being taught uh, in, in, in what they call high churches today. Let's call it what it is. It's an institution, or religious institution, not a church. And we see what the things and how they have twisted the scriptures and applied things in the wrong manner, in the wrong way. And we have to sit back and say, they have the same scriptures we have. How come and why do they misappropriate them? How do they misinterpret them? How do they apply false and pagan doctrines uh, to control the masses of the people? And it goes back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14. They're natural. They're carnal. They can't understand it because it's the Spirit of God that needs to be inside of a person to spiritually discern or to understand, to decipher what the Word of God is teaching. Common sense is a lot of it, but the Holy Spirit of God must be in, involved. So going back to our previous sermons, Jesus Christ brings up the matter of Moses and the manna again with saying, I am uh, that bread of life, that bread of life, he says. But in our passage this morning, we see that he uses the word this. I want you to notice this is the third time uh, that the Lord has used the decisive word of this, just like he did in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, saying, uh, I say unto thee also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and against hell shall not prevail against it. He also said in John chapter 21, if you will, in verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Okay, so, so we find here in verse 50 today, this is the bread... And then he goes on to say later that a, man, uh, that a man may eat thereof and not die. And so a little later on, this is what we find out in our passage of Scripture. And I want you to bear with me in this portion here. I'm going to give you uh, an illustration at the very end of this portion of the sermon today so that you may understand this a little clearer. But a little later on, as we come from verse 50 down into 52 and, and all the way to 59, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will allow for his soul who takes that bread, that bread of life, all right? He allows them that they can die physically. John 21, 19, we know that the Bible says, this spake he signifying by what death uh, he should glorify God. That's speaking of Peter, a disciple. So here's what we understand. That bread is taken, and a man will die physically, but he won't stay dead. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said unto, uh, said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall live. So stay with me here. The Lord is allowing for someone who took that bread uh, to die physically, but they won't stay dead. They'll resurrect. And furthermore, in the Pauline epistles, uh, he makes it certain that he will, he will never die spiritually because he was spiritually dead when he got saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, And uh, you hath he quickened, that means brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also... We had our conversation in times uh, past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Sorry, I missed that on the screen there. So this is what we find. This soul is allowed to take that bread, okay, the Lord Jesus Christ, die physically, all right, be resurrected again, not stay dead, 
They were spiritually dead. Now they're, they are spiritually alive. And so this very same soul is spiritually resurrected. Now pay attention here. Before his physical death. Okay? Before his physical death. Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 and verse 18. And hath, present tense, raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. All right? Now I'm going to ask you this this morning. Are we all sitting here in the church in Abraham? Yes, we are. So if you today have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and again, uh, that means you have taken of that bread, okay? So you have taken of that bread, but one day, unless the rapture happens before, you will die physically. You will, want to, you will die physically, but you will not stay dead. You will be resurrected, okay, from something that you did now. But here's the caveat. Even though you have now taken that bread, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die physically, but you will be resurrected, but now, spiritually, you can never die because you took of that bread, okay? But once you already did spiritually, now you've been brought back to life, do you understand? It sounds like double talk, I understand that. And on top of all that, that resurrected, brought back to life, quickened spirit of yours is already, right now, spiritually, sitting in heavenly places at the right hand of the throne of God because we are in Jesus Christ. There we go. Now you say, man, that sounds like complete double talk. I don't understand. How can I be sitting here in Abraham this morning and still be in heavenly places? Because we have to understand, God looks at the beginning. He established the beginning from the end. He dwells outside of the realm of time. He is in eternity. The key here is a spiritual death was brought to life, and a physical death will happen even after a spiritual life has been gained. The simple truth in understanding the difference between the physical and the spiritual teaching and not changing the truth to fit one's agenda in the world today, that's the key to discerning what on earth the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of here in the synagogues in Capernaum. Now the Lord adds a word here. He's already identified himself as the bread of life. He's identified himself as the true bread. We saw that in verse 32 of John 6. But now he adds the living bread in verse 51. Now this, this explains why Roman Catholics believe the Bible sanctifies, pay attention here, cannibalism. For you need to look at how Christ applies the living bread in verse 51 and verses 53 through 56. They miserably fail to separate the spiritual from the physical simply because they believe, they do not believe in the perfection of the Holy Scriptures. I just told you a moment ago, you can take of that bread, that bread of life, the living bread, the true bread, not as the manna that their fathers ate in the wilderness and are dead. You can take of it now. And your dead spirit is resurrected to live forevermore. It shall never die, but your body will die, but it will be resurrected again into a glorified body. And yet all of that put together, we are sitting in, he in heavenly places today with the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that happens with one, one segment taking the bread of life. Who is Jesus Christ? Now if you take verses 51 and 53 through 58, literally, 
Here's the difference, guys. Then you have to confess that the Bible approves of cannibalism. The eating and drinking of man's literal flesh and blood, of which is what the mass, Catholic mass, is rooted and grounded in. Transubstantiation or, or even the belief that Jesus is mystically present in the bread and the wine, which is co-substantiation, is what the Church of England believes. They don't believe in transubstantiation. They believe in the mystical. They believe that, the, uh, that the, mystically the bread and wine contains the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me make this abundantly clear today. We buy the Lord's table, um, the bread and the, the little juice. It's never to be alcohol. We'll cover that, all right? We buy that in bulk. It comes in a box, all right? Now, after when COVID happened, we started going into self-contained packets. Everybody gets their own little packet. They peel the first little letter out. We take the bread, peel the next little letter, and you take the juice. And I like that. It's nice and clean, you know? We used to do it with the... the uh, you know, with the, the glasses, and Denise would fill up all the little glasses, and, and people, we, we'd pass them around, and I, and I like that as well, you know, but I think this is a little cleaner area with a self-contained packet. We buy them in bulk. By the way, guys, we would buy the bread at the store, okay? Now, I got news for you. Warburton's doesn't mystically have Jesus Christ in the bakery putting him in the bread. Do you understand that, okay? This, and, and this is why it is so vitally important to put our trust and our discernment through the Holy Spirit of God in the Word of God, and understand to let the Bible answer the Bible, allow the Scriptures to answer the Scriptures. And that's when you see the madness of the Mass and how crazy it is. The Bible does not teach cannibalism. Both are taught against. Transubstantiation uh, is, is especially taught against. Number one, eating literal blood is condemned by the Bible before the law, Okay. Genesis chapter 9 and in verse 4 uh, tells us, But flesh with the life thereof, which is in the blood, shall ye not eat. Clear. Uh, it, he, it is uh, spoken against of, uh, condemned during the law. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10. And whatsoever man there uh, be of the house of Israel, or the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. So before the law, Genesis 9, during the law, Leviticus 17, after the law, under grace, Acts 15, verse 20, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. The drinking of blood was a pagan practice, always has been. It goes all the way back to Baal, it goes back to Babel under Nimrod, the practice of drinking and partaking in, in blood, whether it be animal blood or whether it be human blood. It's a satanic ritual today. These clowns up in Abraham and this sacred, mystic, whatever stupid uh, satanic store, witchcraft store, they, it's, they partake in these things behind closed doors. It's witchcraft, it is devilish, and it is wicked, guys. Which means that the greatest book ever written against Roman Catholicism was not written by a converted Catholic priest or a nun. It was written by God Almighty. All of which means that there are on earth more than 1.3 billion professing Catholics today who have no more respect or use for this holy book than they do a gospel tract that a soul winner gives them. Because they believe that that bread and that wine is mystically transferred into the literal body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Without the bread of life, guys, a soul will burn for eternity. 
Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42 says, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. Uh, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's a bumper sticker one time that says, uh, Without the bread of life, you're going to be toast. <laughs> you get it. Now, guys, to teach a blasphemous, pagan, obscene, quote-unquote, Christianity, the Catholics simply counterfeit a small round wafer and pretend that thing will save. But the reality is no one, or, or no one is saved by a thing. They're saved by a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now here's how ridiculous this anti-biblical teaching becomes. What happens after you take that wafer? Where, where does it go? It goes down your belly, doesn't it? Well, I don't, do I need to go further? You know, it's a normal, it's a body function, is it not? So this is what this, this is how ridiculous the teaching is. After digesting him, okay, they flush him down the toilet. And according to Jesus Christ's own words, Matthew 15, verse 17, Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth into a mouth goeth into the belly and cast out into the drought. Very clear, guys. Very clear teaching. Beloved, these are the ways of sin, death, and hell that is taught. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 tells us, uh, there is a way, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I mean, in first world countries, uh, guys, in the 21st century today, we are seeing this part, controlled, being controlled, controlling people. This simple teaching, this doctrine. Now, I'm not going to tarry long on this, uh, the next two things, but the the basic fundamental foundations of, of the Roman geopoliticians, religion, uh, they're false. Their two central cores is the perpetual virginity of Mary with the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption. All right? Um, and we'll touch on that here in just a little while as well. And the fermented liquor used in the, what they call the sacrifice of the Mass. All right? In the passages before that we're reading today, I want you to take, take note how scriptural interpretation is obtained only by comparing Scripture with Scripture. That's what we've done. We could stop right now and eliminate the simple fact. We've already proven it, that it's against the law, it's against the rules before the law, and it's against God's grace. We've already, that's, we're, we could be done, but we're not. So here's what I want us to see, guys. It debunks every. Uh, every Catholic and Anglican foundation with ap absolute truths. How, why do we do that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, and uh, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that's the key today. We need to decipher what part of our passages before us are a spiritual teaching and what part are a physical teaching. And if you apply this to literal physical realm, then you have to confess and say, well, Jesus Christ teaches cannibalism. But then we go, we take a step back and we see how it's completely contrary to every aspect of the Word of God. And therefore, Jesus Christ, who is God, and this is His spoken Word, cannot, will not contradict nor uh, lie on Himself. Do you understand? So number one, guys, if you could eat literal flesh of Jesus Christ and drink His literal blood, okay, according to every verse in the passage we've looked at, you would have, get this, absolute assurance of eternal salvation now. You'd have absolute assurance now, long before you died, verses 51 and 54. And this is a fact, all right, even though they believe, all right, that they're taking in the flesh, the literal flesh of Jesus Christ, 
If you take these literal, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. Whoso eateth my flesh, verse 54, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I'll raise him at the last day. Jesus Christ is teaching you right there that if, if you take this literal, if you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you'll have full assurance. And there's not one Catholic on the face of this planet, not one Anglican who has ever taught that they know they can have eternal life, everlasting life since AD 325. Not one time. It proves that it's a godless, paganistic, ritualistic mess and cannot be connected to the words of John chapter 6, no matter whether it's literal or spiritual. Because not one of them will say they know for a fact they have eternal life. They don't believe in eternal security. We've heard confessions of vicars saying at the close of funerals, haven't we? Well, no man really knows where you're going. Well, what's the thing to say to a son or a daughter who just lost her dad or grandpa, right? Granddad. Well, you really don't know. Well, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I know where I'm going when I die. Amen. So not one Catholic, not one England has ever been taught they have eternal security even though they believe in co-substantiation and transubstantiation. Number two, according to a Roman Catholic apologist, lawyer, Carl Keating in California, he was writing on the doctrines of John XXIII's Vatican Council in 1960. He said, a Roman Catholic who partakes in the Roman Catholic Mass can go to hell, become unborn again after being born again when he was sprinkled, can fall out of Christ after being in him, and can be eternally damned after being predestinated to be conformed to Christ's image, as we read about in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Now, now, think about what I just said. That is confusing as I'll get out in it. That's lawyer jargon, right? But if you take their doctrine for exactly what they teach, they teach this is literal, even though Jesus Christ said that if you eat the flesh and drink the blood, you have eternal life. But according to their doctrine, you can still die and go to hell, therefore becoming unborn again, after you were born again, when you were sprinkled, when you were a little baby, you can fall out of Christ even after being in him, even though Christ said that, you know, that no man plucketh him out of my hands. We don't, they, they don't regard that. And then you can be damned even though you were predestined to be conformed to his image. It doesn't add up, does it? No, it doesn't. Number three, for 15 centuries, no Catholic was allowed to drink Christ's blood. It was the priest that drank it. Students are told, you take the wafer, since it represents Christ's body, you actually get his blood with it, for he had blood in his body. Think about this for a second. Number four, every Catholic Mass given on this earth is called this, the sacrifice of the Mass. And after being told by the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ, one sacrifice on Calvary, ended all sacrifices in this age permanently, they still call it the sacrifice of the Mass. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 12 says, Above when, uh, when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings, uh, and offering for sin, uh, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come uh, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the, by the which uh, will, uh, will we are sacrificed, uh, uh, sanctified sorry, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But yet they call it every Sunday the sacrifice of the Mass. So again, the fathers will always be willing to help out. And this is what they'll say. I read this in a bit of research. It said, uh, uh, this is what they'll say. It's, it's not a bloody sacrifice. It is a bloody sacrifice just, they say the, the, the Mass is a bloody sacrifice, just like Calvary, in an unbloody manner. Okay? 
Catholic students have been taught the Lord's Supper, Calvary, and the Roman Catholic Mass are the same identical sacrifice. Teaching the fermented liquor they take in a little magic biscuit is just as ephesus, or efficacious, meaning just as able to take away your sins as God's literal blood. You say, preacher, I've never heard this before. Well, some raised Catholic, you've heard this before. Acts chapter 20 tells us in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Not a meal deal. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And of course, Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 12, we've already read that just a moment ago. Guys, these Roman Catholic Jesuits priests with a doctor's degree in philosophy are nothing more than split-tongued, two-faced, lying clowns. That's what they are. And I know that's harsh. I know that's straightforward. But guys, we live in a world today where people need to know. 1.3 billion subscribe to this notion. Whether they know it or not, whether they even dart the door outside of Christmas Eve, they're still linking themselves to that and they're putting their faith and their trust in kissing a ring or getting in a box with a man or, or uh, taking that wafer, if you understand, for their eternal life. Paying the priest to light a candle to pay their their, their family members out of prayer. Man, I tell you, you want to talk about the biggest racket you've ever heard? Well, if you come to me, we don't know where your family is. Not quite sure, you know, if they've, if they've made it uh, through the threshold. They're probably in limbo. But if you pay me, the priest, I'll light this candle, and we'll pray them out of purgatory. But, you know, we may have to pray real hard because they was rough characters now. You just may have to pay me some more. That's blackmail is what that is. It's, it's crazy. I'll give you something that's real plain. Those of you who have attended Remembrance Day services up the road here at the, uh, the whatever the thing's called, I forgot what it's called, um, the Church of Wells place up here, which this guy, this, this vicar up the road, this clown, he's, he, he's as Catholic as the Pope Francis is, okay? Um. I've watched him myself. He told the congregation to turn around while he was going to bow to Mary. I ain't turning around. I ain't obeying you. I sat there and watched what you're going to do. And he did. He sat there and he bowed to Mary and kissed the idol. Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 26 faced the disciples when he gave the layout of the Lord's table. These things do in remembrance of me. He faced them. He looked them in the eyes and he spoke to them. He gave illustrations. And yet the priest and the vicars turned their back on the congregation as they elevate what they refer to as the elements or the host. Priests will speak, mainly Catholic, but priests will speak in an unknown tongue, Latin. Latin has never been the language of the day. It was forced. Matter of fact, when they tried to make Latin come, that's how you got our modern-day Welsh today. They wanted to hold to the Celtic language here in Wales, and they fought tooth and nail. Because if you remove someone's language, you remove their heritage. So when the Romans came in here, they fought tooth and nails and say, we're not accepting Latin. So they compromised, took a thousand Latin words and combined it with the Celtic language, and you got Welsh. Okay? No, it's not the language of the day. They're speaking in an unknown tongue. 
Christ spoke in everyday language, and he spoke plainly in the language of his day. These priests and these vicars, uh, uh, they call the wafer, my Lord and my God. Christ didn't tell anyone at that table what it was. Christ's body was not broken at the Last Supper. He shed no blood at the Last Supper. No Catholic priest was present at the Last Supper or at Calvary. No Catholic priest or Anglican vicars, uh, what they will do, they will add, this is my blood in the New Testament where Christ said, but they'll add the following statement to it, the mystery of faith. And then they stick in solemnizing the communicating in the first place, the remembrance of the glorious Mary ever virgin. Jesus didn't say that. What does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? What does that have to do with the crucifixion? Matter of fact, Mary wasn't a virgin when the Last Supper happened. She wasn't a virgin at the crucifixion. Jesus Christ had brothers or half-brothers and sisters. And yet they call her a perpetual virgin. Jesus didn't even refer to Mary as his mother on the cross. John 19, verse 26 says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, he saith unto, her, unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Now, he's not demeaning her. Matter of fact, what he was doing that day was establishing the caretaker of her for the rest of her days, who was John. Behold thy son, behold thy mother, and vice versa, because he loved her. But these priests in black robe bale hoods, they're nothing more, guys, than religious quacks, and we need to recognize that. Teaching the Catholic Mass was a sacrifice for the sins of the quick and the dead, and, and yet saying that it's an unbloody sacrifice could avail to take any way of your sins. Not anywhere in either testament or any dispensation can a sacrifice be made without blood. Again, Hebrews 10, 11, And every priest stands the daily ministry and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which cannot take away sins. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So now here's where it gets interesting. The kingdom of God, which Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is within you. That's a spiritual kingdom. We, we see where this goes. The whole thing is spiritual that he's talking about here. But if the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, and those who apply this as a foundational truth through their entire doctrine... You're dealing with, guys, uh, you're dealing with the belly God. That's what you're dealing with. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Romans chapter 16, verse 18, For they that are such are, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Guys, they're counting on physical things to make them spiritual, and that does not work. So the passage before us, guys, is not addressed to any Christian. There are no Christians present, not even the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, none of them would have the, the, the opportunity to obey the verses, if you take them literal, verses 53 through 56, until Jesus Christ was dead, number one, spiritual or physical. So were they all lost before the first Catholic Mass, which didn't happen until the 4th century? I mean, if they were, that means Peter, James, and John are in hell because they all died um, before any Roman priest or Roman Catholic priest or Roman Pope or Catholic Pope ever showed up on this earth 300 plus years later on. The body and the blood that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11 was defined as Christ's body composed of believers. 
1 Corinthians 10, 17, for, for we being many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of what? That bread. Do you see how simple that one bread has nothing to do with a corpse that was drained of blood before it was buried? John chapter 19, verse 34. I'm saying all that, guys, to understand where we are in John chapter 6 and the things that he was saying and the, and the change of direction from the people after he was finished. So last point that I cover today, and we'll close. Whosoever took communion when Paul, with Paul never thought of the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice of any kind. They never thought for 15 seconds that he, would, that, that, that he wouldn't have eternal life unless he drank alcohol or swallowed a Catholic cookie. The New Testament saints commemorated the death of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. They're recognizing, uh, guys, they're recognizing that they should show his death, not reenact his death, not kill him over and over and over and over and putting him to an open shame until he returns. When's the last time you've ever heard any pope, any priest, any vicar since 8500 encourage you to look for the return of the Jewish son of David? You find it all through the Bible, Psalm 110, verses 1 through 3, um, Luke chapter Luke 4, 31 and 33, Acts 15, 17. Revelation 19 tells us, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When's the last time you heard them mention anything of Jesus Christ coming to rule and reign? You're not going to find it. So Jesus says, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. That's verse 55. If this passage was meant to be taken literal... And of course, to do this, you have to ignore Scripture versus proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. So it's not literal, all right? It's spiritual. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So if Catholics are right, it means that if if they were right, you and I are committing a sin and a death in Leviticus 17.10, under the law, another sin against the grace of God under the New Testament, Acts 15, 20, and another sin against the commandments of God, Genesis chapter 9, verse 14. But the Mosaic, uh, before the Mosaic law showed up, I would be a triple sinning, covenant-breaking, defying God Almighty under three different covenants. The Noachian covenant, Genesis 9, the Mosaic covenant, Leviticus 17, and the New Covenant in Acts 15. Three mortal sins in the Mass. That's the true moral and spiritual character of Roman Catholicism, according to their Pope's first basic root foundational creed of faith, and it's called the sacrifice of the Mass. And my friend, that's the madness of the Mass, if you will. It's the madness. Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly tells us, died once, and he died for all. No pre-selected souls, No one chosen over another, once and for all. And to kill him over and over and over and over again every Sunday and call that little wafer that's in mass produced, the mystical body of Jesus Christ or the literal body of Jesus Christ, either one, is blasphemous. Blasphemous. And guys, I know that this, I know this is a harsh sounding teaching. I get that. I'm not apologizing for it. It's John chapter 6, and we're covering the chapter. It's part of it. You've got to take the good with the bad. Now, to my knowledge, no one out there today in, in this building are Catholics or are Anglicans. 
But if you have friends and family members that are, be a good idea to bring this truth to them. Be a good idea to bring this truth of the Holy Scriptures to their doorstep so that they may find the freedom and the liberty to get out of that place and get out of that belief and that doctrine and take on the real bread of life, the living bread of life, by accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. We bow your heads this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the message, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Scriptures, and thank you for the truth, Father. I ask of you today that if you will, Lord, bear witness upon our souls. Help us throughout the rest of the day. Bless us now. Help us absorb that which was taught this morning. Lord, if there's anything that was taught that people just uh, don't agree with, Lord, I pray they would faithfully seek you. Study the Scriptures out wholly and heartily. And let the Scripture answer the Scripture and not take my word for it at all. So, Lord, I give you honor, glory, and praise. And ask you bless the rest of this Sunday, dear God, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you 
will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.